up and running. Excellent. Uh, I want to say thanks to Pete too. Pete, my brother, shared last week, which I trust uh, everybody was blessed. I had a lot of good conversations later on as we sort of spoke about um, uh, Jesus as the centre of our worship, not just a uh, ink off the page of a book, but a real living person who worship in Jesus Christ. So thanks to Pete last week for uh, sharing, and uh, that was a real blessing to us. So today we're going to get back to um, the book of Philippians. We've been doing a sermon series through there. We have a few weeks uh, to go, about uh, three or four talks left in the book of Philippians. And as Rob mentioned, please, I do want you to bring those um, difficult passages as we make that next series, uh, What Does That Mean?, you know, sometimes you read through and you just think, I'm not sure what the author or the writer here is on about in that particular passage. So uh, send me the verse and um, we will uh, put that together as a group of about 10 talks. So I've got about, I think I've got about six or seven already um, from three people. So, I mean, that's all right. Someone sent me about four or five, which is fantastic. But um, others, please, just um, if you've got a difficult passage, email it to me. And we'll put that together. And the reason we do that, because here at Exchange, uh, we love the Bible, because we know that's where Jesus speaks to us most clearly. So we want to open that up and uh, hear it and uh, apply it to our lives. And um, sometimes there's some tricky stuff there that's a little bit hard to understand. But we're going to work hard at that and uh, trying to um, make some sense of it so we can apply it to our lives. Today, though, we're in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Has anybody ever seen the TV show Survivor? I've only, I haven't seen all episodes, but I've seen one part where one of the challenges is like the last man standing. They've sort of got to stand on a rock or something with a wooden pole with their hands on it and the waves sort of crash against the rock and the spray sort of foams over them. And the whole idea is that it's the last man standing. I mean, you can't just let go of the pole and sort of give your arms a rest, otherwise you miss out on whatever um, they're going for. And normally they're very much goal-orientated in that thing, and normally the goal is like a quarter of a million dollars or something like that, so they're going to hang on that wooden pole as long as they can. And um, I think I saw one short of one episode, the guy was there like five hours or six hours hanging onto this pole, and the waves were sort of splashing over him every now and again, and I thought, mate, he was highly motivated to stand there for so long and hang onto that pole. But that's what it was. He was going to be last man standing we look at today where Paul talks about us standing in life. Not only like, sort of like last man standing, but something that will enable us to stand for eternity. So if you've got your Bibles here, go to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 12 uh, through to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, one unit of thought there. Chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, Father, thank you today that we can come and open up this passage here in Philippians. We ask now that, Holy Spirit, you would come. Uh, You would bring life to to this word to us. I I pray that you'd help me now just to uh, accurately open it up and apply it to our lives and that you would uh, work at uh, getting uh, that word deep into our hearts to affect change within us as we see here what Paul is uh, telling the Philippians 2,000 years ago, which is just as relevant for us here today in 2018. Uh, We ask your help now, Holy Spirit, and we ask it uh, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. In chapter 3 of Philippians here, uh, Paul has poured out a lot of passion if you're to read through this chapter and see uh, what he's on about. Uh, From verses 1 to 11, Paul has sort of really nailed his colours to the wall here about what he's passionate about in life. And in verses 10 and 11 here, Paul tells us this, sort of capping off that passage, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As you sort of read that bit there in the middle of this chapter, you do get a a sense here as you're going through this. There's this real passion of Paul here that he wants to open up in this chapter. Paul is passionate about knowing Jesus in a real and a personal way. Not just something from ink on the pages, but something in a real, living and vital way. And passion should be a distinctive mark of uh, being a Christian as well. There should be a deep, personal inner resolve that drives us to want to know Christ and know him more and more. And this passion also to know Jesus must translate into a strength that enables us to stand through whatever challenges we may face in life. And when I stand, I mean this. There are many things that we can be passionate about in this world, but there's only one passion that will enable you to stand through for all of eternity. Only one passion that will be able to keep you and hold you through eternity. You can be really passionate about business pursuits, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be really passionate about sporting pursuits and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be really passionate about career and academic results and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be passionate about farming pursuits and there's nothing wrong with that either. But if any of those or other things they're not listed become your primary driving passion in life instead of Jesus, then none of those things will carry you into eternity. You'll fall flat. Only a passion for Jesus Christ will carry you into eternity. And you see, this is the passion that Paul wants us uh, today to have and also for the Philippians as he's writing to them 2,000 years ago. Paul wants us to stand firm in gospel conviction that Jesus must be our supreme passion in life. Paul wants us to be willing to chase hard after Jesus, to chase hard after Jesus, and discover him as our highest and most satisfying pleasure in life. And actually, when we discover Jesus as our highest satisfaction and pleasure in life, every other passion will find its right order in our lives. It really does. None of those other passions are wrong. They're good passions. But if Jesus is the central and the primary passion, all those other passions will find their right order in life as we discover him and we'll be able to use those passions for his glory. Paul starts off this passage here in verse 12 by saying, 
Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul is saying, just in case you think, Philippians, I'm perfect or I've actually made it or arrived or reached some sort of level of being a super Christian. I have it. I haven't obtained it. I haven't arrived. We are all in this together and we are all pursuing Jesus together as well. So just in case you thought I was there, I'm not there, Paul says. And Paul's goal here for us as we think about this today is that we will stand firm in this conviction of Christ. And he says that there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my my beloved. That sort of encapsulates this passage here, this last verse in uh, the next chapter. Sometimes don't be fooled when you see a chapter break there thinking, oh, is that a whole new thought? Chapters and verses were put in a few hundred or quite a few hundred years after the Bible was written, and uh, I would think this passage of thought there includes uh, chapter 4, verse 1 as well. So, Paul, how will we do this? How will we do this? What are your instructions for the Philippians, and what are your instructions for us today, and how will we stand firm in this passion for Jesus as central in our lives? How will this look, Paul? Well, surprisingly, Paul tells us that we need to forget some things. We need to forget. We need to forget some things in our pursuit of Christ. It's a negative statement here that Paul starts with, but it's highly important in pursuing Jesus as our supreme passion that we forget some things. He says there in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says there, forgetting Forgetting what lies behind you. What do we think Paul's getting at here when he says that? To forget what lies behind you. I think Paul's saying this. We can't allow the past to define the future. We can't allow the past to define the future. In other words, we don't allow events that have occurred in the past to be the foundation we build our lives on going into the future. We don't allow the events that's happened in the past to become the foundation that we build our lives on going into the future. And this can be in a couple of ways. Firstly, we don't set our minds on all the past dramas that we've experienced in life. It's really easy to get caught up in all the past wrongs or past sins we've been involved in. It's really easy for us to actually let our minds just wander back and think of all that stuff we've got involved in and how disastrous it has been for me. We can look back on all those things we've done, all the lies we've told perhaps, or all the pornography maybe we've been involved in, all the angry thoughts we've got, or the bitterness or the jealousy. All that stuff can sort of come flooding back to us at times. And all that happens then, if we, if we let ourselves begin to just feed on that or reflect on that, we just get our minds wound up in guilt. And Satan comes in like a flood and he just pours condemnation on us if we just allow our minds to go back to the past of all the things that we have done and just sit there and keep reflecting on that and keep meditating upon that and thinking how bad I was and how bad I am, how could God ever use me, someone like this. And when that happens, when Satan pours that condemnation on us, that condemnation begins to weigh upon us. It weighs upon us and bogs us down. Or conversely, we can't allow any of the evil things done to us in the past to plague us as well. We could be victims of evil things. We could be victims of sinful behaviour that's been done to us. Somebody may have been a victim of emotional or sexual abuse in the past. 
And there will be some really horrible memories in that. Some really, really painful stuff that you could reflect on that's been inflicted upon you or done to you in the past. But again, if if we allow our minds to get trapped in those memories, sort of stuck on that treadmill where we can't get off that, thinking about all those evil things that were done to us, which are real things, but if we allow our minds to just stay there in the past, we'll actually become paralysed with insecurity or paralysed there, feeling isolated and feeling alone because we're sort of stuck in the past. Paul's saying, forget those things behind us. Another thing Paul wants us to forget about is to, look, is to not look back at our past <coughs> performances. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Our past performances for Jesus either. Don't look back on those things. Don't look back on the time when I was out there and I was doing coffee with a friend and I was witnessing over the table and I was really thinking I was just hitting some home runs there, witnessing to somebody. It's amazing when you start to think like that, how pride begins to just roll up in the heart about how good I was in that past performance in doing something for Jesus there in the gospel. Jesus, you should be real proud of me because I actually did a red-hot job with that coffee with that person back there a couple of months ago. If we look to those things, pride will quickly rise up and begin to establish itself in our hearts. You see, either of those ways, whether it's guilt or shame, from looking back at the dramas in our life or our pride in good works, we can't go forward and building a life in the future of passion in Jesus Christ if we're stuck back in reflecting upon those things in the past. It won't happen because we'll be, we'll be bogged down thinking about what's behind us and not thinking about the future and pressing on and straining forwards towards Christ. Now, when Paul says there, forgetting what's behind me, he's not saying just deny it ever happened. So we're not certainly not saying that because some of those memories from some of those things will be very real and vividly etched upon your mind. They can't be denied, particularly if it's an abuse situation. Paul's not saying just deny it ever happened. He's not saying that at all. He's saying make an active choice, make an active choice not to go back and reflect on those things and to meditate upon those things where you get your mind in this treadmill situation. So he's not saying don't deny it ever happened. Make an active choice that I will not go back there. When those memories come back in, begin to thank God and praise God that I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Thank God for the life he's now given to us in Christ. Not only does Paul want us to forget the past, as he actively choose not to reflect and go on the past, but he wants to positively press on into the future as well. Paul uses this word or phrase a few times here. He says in verse 12, press on, verse 13, straining forward, and verse 14 again, press on, press on again. You can't really see it here in the, in the uh, English, except perhaps in verse 14. It's got this picture there of straining forward. But the word carries with it here a real sense of exertion or maximum effort directed towards it. When Paul says straining forward or press on, he's talking about throwing ourselves entirely into this pursuit, entirely with every fibre of our being. And as I was thinking about that phrase this week, and I don't think Roger's here today, my bike riding friend, I was thinking of uh, Roger on a push bike, and uh, he's riding into a headwind of about 70 or 80 kilometres an hour, and he's riding uphill. Doesn't sound like much fun, does it, when you're riding into a headwind and you're in about 70 or 80 kilometre an hour wind and the sweat's coming off you and you're leaning over those handlebars and you are pushing as hard as you can. You feel like I'm straining everything in my being trying to move forward. There's no such thing as discovering a passion for Jesus in a half-hearted manner. 
That's what Paul's saying here. Strain forward. There's no such thing as uh, discovering a passion for Jesus in a half-hearted manner. The world we live in isn't bending over backwards to help us see Jesus, to help him grow in our lives. You've only got to walk down the, uh, the, the Maud Street Mall there in uh, Shep, and you're not going to see too many posters up in these windows there telling us to follow Jesus, telling us to keep reading our Bibles. And you won't see that. It's not actually encouraging us to strain forward or do that. Jesus himself said these words that I think are really, really astounding here in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. It's like a strange verse that, isn't it? Violence. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. It's actually sort of linked in together here with Paul actually saying, straining forward with every fibre of our being. Sin and Satan are continually looking to wreak havoc, havoc, sorry, havoc on the kingdom of God. Satan will use anything he can, human tools or worldly ideas, to somehow try and punch holes in God's kingdom. He's trying to inflict violence upon that kingdom. And sometimes we have to use violence to take hold of Jesus and his kingdom as believers. Now, just before any young guys get a good feeling about violence here and thinking about Fortnite or Clash of the Clans and sort of taking out the enemy on those computer games, that's not the violence that Jesus here is talking about. We're not taking up arms or weapons in that sense, but the violence we're talking about here is we need to do violence to our sinful, selfish, sluggish desires within us when it comes to pursuing Christ. We've got to do violence to those things. When we are sinful, selfish or sluggish, we have to crush those desires. Things that would distract us and draw us away from pursuing Christ. Things like lethargy or apathy. We need to actually put that desire aside and then to become strong in pursuing Christ. We won't discover Jesus in a half-hearted manner. It's incredible how often I speak to somebody and I'll hear of their doubts or their coldness towards Christ. Now, I'm not even sure I believe. Jesus feels so distant and I just can't sort of feel anything at all about him. I'm just not sure if Jesus is even real. And sometimes I'll go on and I'll question a little bit further for these people and I'll ask them about their habits of looking for Jesus in the Bible or, or looking for Jesus in prayer or looking for Jesus amongst his people and meeting together. And it's incredible how quickly when you begin to perhaps just ask a few of those questions about are you reading your Bible, looking for Jesus in prayer, that they're not. They're not. They're not putting any effort towards that. Of looking for Jesus to develop a passion for him just through the simple disciplines that God's given to us through uh, reading his word, through prayer. Sometimes people, I think, want to sit back in the armchair with the remote control and just sort of click on, click off Jesus when they like I just want to take that relaxed position. We will not find a passion for Jesus in any half-hearted way. This is what Paul's saying. We've got to strain forward. Here's what the Holy Spirit said through the prophet Jeremiah in uh, chapter 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. All of your heart. When we seek God with all of our heart, he promises there that we will find him. It's a promise. You seek me with all your heart, God says, you will find me. That means all of our heart is throwing ourselves into it lock, stock and barrel. 
We leave nothing on the field. I'm pulling out all stops. I'm putting my all into seeking who Jesus is. I want to go hard after Christ. I'm going to strain forward with everything I've got to see this passion for Christ grow in my life. And that's exactly what Paul's instructing the Philippians here and for us today too through the Holy Spirit. And it won't be necessarily all that easy. We'll have to push hard through a myriad of web pages. We'll have to push hard through DVDs and computer games. We'll have to push hard through fashions and sporting success and cars and motorbikes. We'll have to push hard through money. We'll have to push hard through girlfriends and boyfriends. We'll have to push hard through engagements and weddings. We'll have to push hard through holidays. We'll have to push hard through retirement. Because all of those things will come in and they'll begin to crowd into our heads and our heart and distracting us away from a passion of Jesus Christ. Again, none of those things are wrong, but they're all things trying to find space for our passion in life. And we'll have to push hard through all of those passions to make sure that Jesus is the supreme passion. And then every one of those passions can find their right order after that. We'll have to push hard there. And Paul's saying he's going to use maximum exertion, maximum effort here to run hard after Jesus Christ. To stand firm in this passion, Paul says we need to max out in straining forward and striving hard after Christ. In this growing passion also to stand firm, Paul not only wants us to strive hard after Jesus, he wants us to look on. He wants us to look on and be inspired in this as well. And I believe there's two things here that Paul's helping us here that we need to look on. Firstly, he wants us to look on to others as examples in following after Jesus. Verse 17 tells us this, Brothers, join in, in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's absolutely right to be inspired by others in our walk with Christ. Totally it is. It's totally good that we see others growing in their passion for Christ and that should encourage us in our own faith, in our own walk for Jesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit precisely uses to spur us on at times by looking upon others and see what they're doing. I read a book recently, just finished it about a week ago, which is a fantastic book. It was a book called A God-Sized Vision, Revival stories that stretch and stir. It was just tracing some significant revivals over the course of um, history uh, from Pentecost till now. And in it, I read of a Canadian medical missionary to the Korea in the late 1800s, a man by the name of R.A. Hardy. Uh, this man here laboured hard and toilsome in Korea, sort of over the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, they described the spiritual ground to be like concrete, like concrete. He was there for years, labouring away, seeing no real fruit at all. Trying to do what he could to connect with the Korean people, but nothing was happening. He was growing in despair and discouragement. They called a bunch of ministers together who were missionaries in uh, Pyongyang, in northern Korea, when it was uh, unified together. And they asked this R.A. Hardy, could you lead the prayer meeting, please, just as we come together? And he just felt totally inadequate to lead the prayer meeting that day. He felt so full of despair. Anyway, he went on to lead the prayer meeting and uh, just confessed his feelings at that time. And uh, God sovereignly and amazingly, as God only can do, moved upon that 
prayer meeting and revival broke out from that point onwards. And over the next probably five or six years, they saw tens of thousands of Koreans become Christians. It's just an amazing story of God's sovereign move in revival. But as I read his story of R.A. Hardy, and I just pictured him in Korea, late 1800s, early 1900s, he'd been there for probably 10 years, just felt called to go there. He just laboured and laboured and laboured, and it felt like spiritual concrete. But that man inspired me as I read about that. He actually left the comforts of Canada to go to this foreign land and to give his life out for the gospel. And praise God, spiritual fruit came. But for the first 10 years or so, nothing happened. That inspired me. That actually stirred me within. I think when I saw a passion like that, it actually kick-started me again with a renewed passion for Christ as well. That's what it does when we see other examples. Now, this looking onto others as examples can go both ways as well. We also can be examples. Yes, I'm inspired by others, but also in a very humble way, hopefully, we inspire others to grow in their walk for Christ. Remembering we all are forward examples in doing this, but we can be an example to others. So don't underestimate what God might be doing through your life to help grow a passion in others in them. Sometimes it makes us just stop and think, you know, what example am, uh, am I setting or what example are you setting in doing that? What do others see about me or you that is inspiring them to follow Christ? Setting example or seeing example set is incredibly important. Secondly here, as we look on, Paul tells us here to look on to our ultimate home as well. Paul says to cast our eyes towards heaven. Verse 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things uh, to himself. This has got to be something that we get passionate and excited about when we think about the glorious home that is awaiting us. We are pilgrims travelling this earth. That's exactly how the Bible sees us. If you read through the book of uh, Peter, it talks about us being aliens. We are foreigners to this land because we are citizens of another country, of another land, heaven. We have eternity waiting for us, where Jesus will no longer be faith, but Jesus will be sight. And that is something to think about. We can't see Jesus now other than we see him through the pages of Scripture, but you can't see him like you can possibly see me today. But in heaven, we will see Jesus face to face. And guys, in times of despair... And at times of challenge, in times of hardship, we will do really, really well to inspire a passion in Christ, to think on and reflect upon heaven, that we will see Jesus face to face. The one who bled and died for us on Calvary's Hill 2,000 years ago. We will know him and we will see him. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. Look to that. Look to that future that gloriously sits ahead of us. Paul says don't uh, in, this, in this way, Paul says, look to that and be inspired by that in that passion. You see, Paul knows that we need to stand firm in our passion for Jesus amongst the world that is drowning out Jesus by the hour. By the hour. We need to forget what's in the past. We need to press on and strain forward with all our vigour to lay hold of Christ. We need to look at the other examples of others and to focus our heart on heaven and that we will see Jesus Christ grow in our lives. You see, it's good and right that we have a passion. It's absolutely good and right that we have a passion in life. 
and we really do admire people who do stand firm to the end with a goal in life. Uh, You might know Steve Jobs, one of the key developers behind the Apple computer business. He was driven by a goal. He was driven by a goal. He had a passion for state-of-the-art, user-friendly electronics, and I can thank Steve Jobs today because we're able to record the sermon on one of his devices. He had a passion for this. He worked hard, and we rightly applaud his success. We do. Now, tragically, the guy died a few years ago, but we applaud his success. He had a goal. But you see here, the goal for that passion or the goal for that drive becomes the key point. It becomes the incredibly the most important point as we think about that. You could settle for the big goals of this life and you might even reach them like many people do, reach some really big goals here in this life. But what will the end be if your passion and your goal is fixed in this world alone? What will the end be if this is where your goal and passion is fixed? Well, Paul tells us here what the end will be if we choose other goals of this world instead of Jesus himself. And he says there in verses 8 and 19, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their goal, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. With minds set on earthly things. When our goals or our passions are fixed in this world alone and not fixed on Christ, not fixed on the author of life and our creator, when our goal is fixed here and now and not with that eternal perspective, Paul tells us the end is destruction. The end is destruction. This is ultimately where every goal and passion of this world would lead us to if Christ is not the supreme and number one passion and goal in our lives. Their end is destruction. They are just uh, defining words. But this isn't where Paul takes us in Philippians. And this isn't where Paul is taking the Philippians. He's taking them and us to Jesus Christ and a passion for him. He takes us to Jesus Christ, the only one, who can save us from destructive passions and destructive goals in our lives. You might say, what does this passion look like then? Paul here, he's he's got a whole lot of passion happening in this chapter. Uh, And this is sort of like our third talk down to the chapter. This is the third one. So Paul's got a whole lot of passion happening here. It's sort of soaked in it. How does this passion look? What am I supposed to do in this passion? How am I supposed to interact with my life? Am I supposed to be like some of those fanatical supporters you see in some of those sporting events who get painted up in the team colours and they just belt out the club song? Is that, is that the passion that Jesus is, that Paul's talking about here that I'm supposed to have? Is it supposed to be some really out there, visible expression? What's this passion look like? Passion's a powerful desire that bubbles up within us. <coughs> Oftentimes these passions will come from external sources. A young man uh, sees a lovely young lady and he has a desire of attraction to her. Something external, as it were, stirs up a passion within him. He's attracted to this young lady. And the visible expressions of those passions will be different for all people. If you look at that, some people, uh, particularly some guys, are they very sort of out there with their expressions? 
Uh, they'll go higher a plane to go up there and write in the sky, I love you, Susan, or something like that. But it'll be the passion. Some are just way out there. They just want to visibly express it. And others won't be quite as visible. They might just send a nice, kind note of appreciation to somebody. There'll be different ways the passion will be expressed. The visible expression isn't really the main point here. Everybody's going to vary a bit on how it may look. But the visible expression isn't the main point. The main point is the passion itself. The primary driving desire and goal itself is what is important. And the question we need to ask ourselves, what is that passion or desire that drives you? Paul makes it really clear here what drives him. He says here in verse 12, uh, uh, something about this passion which I think is really, really glorious. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He presses on to make Jesus his supreme passion. That's what he's straining forward for. But look at what he does here. And he does this because Jesus has come in incredible grace and made Paul his own. Jesus has come to Paul and revealed himself to him and marvellously called Paul into his kingdom. Jesus has revealed him to Paul who he is. It's like this external source outside of Paul has now been revealed to him and Paul has seen Christ as this all-surpassing treasure, this glorious saviour. So for Paul now, all of life is now framed with Jesus at the centre. You couldn't help but read the New Testament and think that when you read through Paul's writings. Jesus takes first and foremost place in Paul's life. And Paul says here, this passion for Jesus is what enables him to stand. Look in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul's like saying, therefore, because of all that I've just said, basically in chapter 3, all this passion that I've poured out, he says, therefore, because of all that, stand firm. Stand firm in Christ and who he is. And this is precisely what we want to do here at Exchange. We want to build passionate people about Jesus Christ, expressing it in many different visible ways. But passionate about primarily serving and loving Christ first and foremost. People who are absolutely sold out for Christ. People whose number one desire is for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Plus with all sorts of other passions that come with that, but they're now rightly ordered by this supreme passion. We dedicated Ted Gibbs today. I want to see him grow up to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And I look forward to that day. To see Ted loving and serving Christ in whatever God may call him to in this life. This is precisely what we want to do here at Exchange is build strong, passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Because we know here, when he takes number one place in our life, he becomes our supreme desire, we will stand. We will stand. No matter what happens, no matter what challenge comes our way, no matter what Jesus may decide to take us through, if he's our number one passion, our number one desire, we will stand. 
There's a great verse in Ephesians that says, having done all, stand. That's exactly what it will be like for us as Jesus becomes this passion. We won't look back to the past. We'll press on looking to Jesus. We'll look at others that Jesus placed in life to inspire us. We'll look towards eternity, heaven as our home, and we will stand in a passion for Jesus Christ and the incredible desire that he places within his heart for the treasure that he is. Have this passion in Christ and you and I, we will stand knowing him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and we can gather around Philippians chapter 3. Father, we thank you for the passion that you placed in Paul. We thank you, God, for the heart that we can really see beating off the pages of this scripture here as Paul begins to just unload himself, Lord, with everything that's inside of him. God, we thank you today that you reveal that same Jesus Christ to us. God, I pray today that you will really, really continue to uh, grow and develop Christ within us, that we will strain for, Lord, we will push through all of the stuff in this world that will come and try and distract our hearts and distract our minds from this passion for Christ. And I pray that, Lord, through that, you will give us a heart that beats for Jesus. You'll give us a, a fervent desire within, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to see Christ and him crucified and for him to, as it were, consume our life. And the Lord, through that passion and through that desire, every other passion and desire you place in our life will find its right order and its right place. And that through every other passion and desire, Lord, that we will actually give glory to Christ as we magnify him through all those passions and desires you place within us. Holy Spirit, we would call upon you today to come and empower us for that. That we would be a people known to stand for Christ in a passionate way where he is visibly seen in and through our lives. Father, we bless you for that now and we ask it and pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks, Peter, as you just come and uh, lead us around the table as we um, think about this passion of Christ at the cross.